Are we live? Awesome. All right, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Mark Molina, CEO of Molina Leadership Solutions. We're very excited this afternoon to continue on with our Women in Leadership series. We have with us today, Miss Athena Todd. Uh, but before we get to our guest, I want to acknowledge our sponsor for today's podcast, Molina Law Group. Molina Law Group is a local immigration law practice located here in Springfield, Oregon. They specialize in all areas of immigration needs, uh, student visa, fiance visa, citizenship, residency, work permit, all areas that pertain to immigration law uh, can be facilitated by the Molina Law Group. They are celebrating the grand opening of their Beaverton office this Friday. They can be, Molina Law Group can be found on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. Their phone number is 541-653-8899. I'm going to begin by reading Athena's bio just as she sent it to me in her words. My name is Athena Todd. I am a cross-cultural life coach with a specialty in Asian and American communications. I help my clients who want to achieve their life goals through effective and authentic communication in a diverse environment. I was born and raised in Taiwan. I came to the United States at the age of 20. Throughout the 23 years in the States, I have embraced the cultural differences that enrich my connections to different backgrounds. I have dedicated my career to helping professionals and organizations from different cultural backgrounds to, su to succeed through personal growth, career advancement, real estate investing, and effective cross-cultural communication resulting in a great return on investment. I was honored by BNI Oregon and Southwest Washington as a notable networker award in 2009, appointed ambassador, coaching other business professionals to grow their business through effective communication. Redstone Residential Inc, different maker of the year and trilingual award, fluent in English, Chinese and sales. <laughs> in 2016, created a near 50% renewal rate and 21% profit increase in the first two months. Successfully increased the company's ROI or return on investment through effective cross-cultural communication and fluent in sales between different cultures. One of the things I'm most proud of is to be, is to be a volunteer worker through WING seminars as a backup team leader guiding others to grow and was able to give back by raising scholarship funds to help teens and adults to participate in personal growth and leadership programs. I am humbled and honored to serve and to create a better community. Her specialties, cross-cultural communication, leadership, negotiations, sales, real estate investing, and effective strategic advisor. Her certifications, Wing Seminars, Personal and Leadership Development Certificates, Wealth Intelligence Agency, Real Estate Acquisition and Property Management Certificates, National Apartment Association, Certified Apartment Manager or CAM. Her qualifications, Robbins Mandane's trained coach under my teachers, Tony Robbins, Chloe Mandane's Mark Pisha. Mm -hmm. Mark Pisha. And Magali Apisha. Uh, Athena, welcome to Molina Leadership Series, uh, Women in Leadership, Molina Leadership Solutions, Women in Leadership. Thank you for your time this afternoon. How are you doing today? 
I'm doing great. Thank you for inviting me to this awesome event. Um, this is probably the second live I've been for this year, so I appreciate the invite. Well, I'm very excited that you're here. You know, we met years ago at the Springfield Greeters, uh, you and your husband, Jacob, and I've always been, it, you and you and your husband are so unique. You're such wonderful people. You're, you're very kind. I have never seen you or him not kind to anyone. You've always been generous with your smile, generous in friendship generous in goodness and i've been really excited we've been trying to get this done for a couple of months so i know right <laughs> i'm really excited that this opportunity has uh, finally availed itself and the fact that you are bicultural you come from a different country you come to america you've been successful you've done the hard work you've applied yourself to the process You've had every reason to not be successful, but it hasn't stopped you. You've overcome so many different obstacles. And here you are, here you are with us on Molina Leadership Solutions, Women in Leadership Series. And I'm really excited. I cannot say enough just how grateful I am for your participation today. Yeah, thank you for, thank you for inviting me. Like I said, I'm it's a, you pretty much speak up uh, quite a bit of my journey. That That's pretty much some of, of <laughs> the last, actually 24 years now, I forget counting, we're in 2021 now. You can see how, how long we've been trying to schedule this. <laughs> so yeah, it's been a journey. So um, so yeah, I, I appreciate the advice that we can, um, you know, hoping we can help other people are in this journey together. Um, we know in this pandemic, it's been, crazy for a lot of people. And then the people are in a different country and they cannot go back home. For a lot of people, it's actually even worse. So that's that's the reason why I'm here too, because we are in an uncertain time um, time period right now. Um, and then there's a huge need in this area for everybody. Well, thank you. I appreciate your mention. It shows your leadership and shows your concern for people. You're absolutely 100% correct. I can't tell you the amount of people I have on this, uh, this program for different areas. And you're the first person to mention the global impact, the geographical global impact to other nationalities, other countries, other people in the world. And we cannot forget that. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people, to tell you the truth, they're trying to rush back home. The people that are in a different country and then they, their home country, they can't go back to. As you can see, there's some uh, airline shutdowns. They, they are not flying back. They are not able to fly back home. And in that, uh, so in a lot of people's mind, they feel like if I'm going to die, I'd rather die at home. <laughs> so I'm going to do whatever it takes to go back home. And to hear people, uh, you know, have that kind of panic attack. And, you know, it kind of, um, I don't know, it just bring to the, um, to my, not only to my attention, but it just create a huge impact for me as well, because I'm over here too. And then I, I will create a way to stay connect with my parents in Taiwan because I'm the only one here. My sister's Malaysia and my brother's in Taiwan, you know, we're all over the places. So I think before pandemic, um, we, it's like we are still far away. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But it's just that thought of 
the uh, the ability to go back, it didn't really take us seriously that, you know, um, but now in the pandemic, and now that is serious, we are told that we cannot go back. So that, that makes a huge difference, the, the ability to be taken away when, um, you know, going back home is just people take it for granted before pandemic. And for those uh, that are watching, ladies and gentlemen, I have sent Athena some questions, but before we get to some of those questions, I want to stay on this theme just a little, little bit because she's from another country, she's from Taiwan, She's been here 23 years, but this is interesting to hear her heart and her concern about other cultures that have come here and the reality that a lot of other people understand the potential end result of this pandemic and they just want to get home. They're going to die. They want to die at home. And that's real. That sentiment is real. And I think we have to it, it shows what a big world we are, but also how small it gets, how small it can get when it comes to life itself. Mm -hmm. And so, Athena, you've been here 23 years. You came from Taiwan. You speak Chinese. So I'm going to ask you a question. I don't want to assume that you're Chinese. I don't know much of how. But <laughs> I love when you frame that. Well, you know, That's a good way to ask that. Well, okay, I was in Hawaii and Oahu in the army. Mm. And 40%, I believe about 40% of the island was either Japanese or Chinese, mm. or something to that effect. And the rest were Hawaiians. And so I didn't I don't want to assume that because you speak Chinese, that you're Chinese. I'm not sure. So are you Taiwanese? Are you Chinese? Are you Taiwanese that speaks Chinese? <laughs> that's a great question you just confused me just by asking me that question that well chinese like a big umbrella of the um of, you know well more of a, like a language and then under chinese you have people that speak cantonese and you know you know speak you know taiwanese you know well taiwanese is another language itself i should say so mandarin chinese cantonese and you know china is pretty big so you have gigantic different dialects from all different province and then of course in taiwan we have taiwanese but the um the the language that people speak the most are mandarin chinese so in taiwan the uh, the official language so to speak is mandarin, mandarin chinese. chinese mandarin chinese yeah i love learning these things i just so i'm so excited you're on this show because it shows us uh, as americans that the world is a really big place and there's lots of other things going on in lots of different other places. And it's so intriguing. Now, did you speak, learn to speak English in school before you came to America when you arrived? Well, I learned English when I was little, but I suck at it. <laughs> so I wasn't very good student. To tell you the truth, I actually thought I would never have to speak or use English the rest of my life when I was in high school because that's how bad I was until, you know, you never really know. Life just uh, create a whole bunch of, I call it opportunities for me to learn. And it, I did, I end up here and then didn't know I would be speaking English maybe for the rest of my life here. So who knows? We, we never really know how life is thrown at us and then, you know, the opportunity that happens. And then I just happened to be end up here speaking English. But when I first um, learned English, of course, uh, was very little, but 
pretty much everybody just know how to like read and write, but we never really had to speak it because most of the teacher, when they speak it, uh, they try to learn because it never really sounds like a native speaker. So, um, so we learn mostly reading and writing for the most part, but talking is pretty much when I first got here, I had to learn how to talk. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that uh, journey into the historicity of your development with the language and how even when you just said that when this your teachers would speak English, they're not really native speakers. So it probably sounds a whole lot different than we would expect it to sound. Yeah, it doesn't You're, really sound like English. A lot of time, I don't even know that words actually really mean that word because they, with the, the way they pronounce it, it might sound different. So now... When you arrived here 23 years ago, what did you do to get yourself moving forward in the English language? Uh, I would say my, uh, I really uh, uh, was, I'm really grateful my parents actually bought me a TV. And then, um, so we, I spend a lot of time um, watching TV. I know this is not really productive for most people, but hey, when you need to learn a culture and learn a language, and that's the best way to go. So, and then, um, but I know since I don't, at the time I didn't understand a thing. So I would turn on, um, I figure I'll turn, I'll just flip through the channel to see what looks interesting. So um, I did not know at the time, I, uh, I was trying to um, you know, get on the news because I know that's when they talk the most, but I think I fell asleep probably within five minutes because they, I just see they keep moving their mouths. There's really not much going on. And I can't really understand it anyway. I was like, well, what's the point of watching this? So I just keep through, flip through the channel. I land on the Jerry Springer show. <laughs> I'll tell you that. That's what, when I first, I thought that there's American culture. Um, that's way before I met Jacob. And I was, oh, this sounds interesting. I turn a caption on. I see some action, I see people are talking and there's words between the beeps. I, I just thought, oh, this, this, there's some action that you know, caught, you know, caught me to, uh, to stay in that channel. So that's kind of how I learned English words between the beeps because they usually clean that up. <laughs> so that's how I've been learning from the short segments until and then before I had no idea what are those beeping sounds for until later on? Oh, they try to clean it up for, you know, the audience, you know, on TV shows. So that's how I've been learning until later on. I was good enough to uh, watch a movie. And then that's what I learned the most on massive movie. I love movies. And that's where I get um, my words a lot faster. Of course, talking is uh, even faster. And when you start dreaming uh, English, that's when you know you become advanced level. And that's how I know probably after five years. Okay, so five years, <clears throat> you know, when you're learning a language, listening to it, the audio, the nerves in your ears will learn, <clears throat> excuse me, will help you to distinguish between the sounds. And mm -hmm. that helps advance the ability in the pronunciation of a language is how you hear it in your ears. So that's yeah. very good, five years of watching TV shows, the excitement of Jerry Springer. <laughs> That's right. <clears throat> falling asleep during the news. But five years, you began to dream in English, and then you knew you had uh, began to really advance. 
Yeah. Well, you know how, well, just tell you a little secret. Jacob's not here. But the, when I know I can win the argument uh, in, <laughs> you know, couple, you know, being with, the, um, you know, you and the other half, you usually get in the argument. And sometimes I have words I want to say it and I couldn't say it. And then, um, and then later on, you know, when I try to learn more vocabularies, and then when I can actually say it freely, that's when I know um, in my mind, um, my communication style just advanced to the next level. So I think understand is one thing, comprehend what somebody says another, and to be able to, um, you know, spit it out uh, in your own words, that's when I know I can really be fluent in that language, if that makes any sense. It, it, makes <laughs> it makes total sense. Now, does Jacob, does he speak any Chinese at all? I tried, but he could not hear the tone. And the Chinese have five tones. And if you're not able to pick up the tones, um, it pretty much all the words sounds exactly the same. So I kind of give up <laughs> in the first five years. I was like, oh, screw that. I mean, uh, you, you'll learn whenever you want to learn because I'm, I think he wants to learn Spanish first. I think he lost that part of the roots. Um, I think it's after five years old. Uh, because, you know, in school, they didn't really quite allow him to speak Spanish in school. Mm -hmm. so. so he really wanted, he actually been learning Spanish during this pandemic time and then uh, try to uh, get back to his roots as well. Yeah, that's a very common theme here in America. They, one of the first things they do is they try to take your, or they take your language. And if they don't try to, they, they do it. But that's, <laughs> Is that, that right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I was that that was the way it was in our family too. My mother and father didn't speak Spanish to us at home because they knew you had to be able to have a clear capacity in the English language to go to school, to have a job, things of that nature to advance in this country. You know, mm. they called it cultural assimilation. Mm. And so even though everyone around us spoke Spanish in our home, uh, my parents, my mom wouldn't allow us to. She would, oh, she wow. used to say, she used to say, this is America and in America, they speak English. So you have to be able to read, write and speak English to go to school. She used to say, you have to be able to read, write, speak English better than anybody else to get a job. She would say to us, right? That's so true. Same here. I mean, I have to say when I first got out of college, um, I had my Chinese name on my resume and then uh, I wouldn't get, I like sending like 250 or 300 resume out, not a word. I was like, well, I know I'm definitely competitive with the people out there. And then I know my portfolio is really good because that was being, uh, I've been doing, I've been, I've been my, my, uh, my work was being shown in the gallery uh, multiple times. So not, I know my, um, my work is good. And then I just didn't understand why I could, I didn't get any phone call. And then just for, I don't know why all of a sudden it just dawned on me. It's like, well, what if I change my last name to be Todd? And then I'll, I'll, I'll put in my English name because I mean, Athena, it is actually the same meaning of my Chinese name. So I did not forget about my roots because that's important to me. So, and then I just, you know, just try it out. I mean, it wouldn't hurt. And guess what? I started getting phone calls. You know, that's a really important lesson about leadership. That's a, a life, really important life lesson that um, the changes, the changes that you had to make to your name so that someone would want to call you. 
So that someone you, would fit in. you have to fit in. That's just right. part of that. Yeah. Right. You know, I had to learn Spanish in school. That's how I learned it. Right. Uh, but it's good. You know, there's a lot of native speakers who speak Spanish because they speak it at home, but they can't read it and they can't write it. You know, mm -hmm. so the other component of that, some can, I'm not saying not all, but there's yeah. a, that is very much a functional component of, of native speakers that they can speak it very well, unless you lived in a different country where that was the primary language in the school system. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. But in America, you know, you learn how the, the phonetic alphabet is A, not A, it's B, mm -hmm. not B. It's C, not C, you know, and the, the differences between the English and the Spanish sounds of the alphabet. Yeah, so yeah. <clears throat> this is a really fortuitous conversation with you today because I believe it shows, you know, the cultural demands, cultural expectations as well. Uh, you know, some, we must learn to accept and adapt and adjust to, but yeah. sometimes I think it's also important that in this country, we don't expect I think sometimes in this country we expect uh, people to forego mm -hmm. their roots and their bicultural bi roots or their cultural roots for what is considered an American identity. And so seeing that you have to absorb that is a reality to that. Women in leadership, this series is about women in leadership. This series is about women who have overcome women in different roles and different capacities, not all professionals, uh, but who have serious life challenges and hurdles that they had to face and deal with to move forward. Let's get into some of the questions so that the people that are listening and will see this and hear this will know a little bit more about you. Uh, tell us something about you that is not on your bio. Um, well, I gotta say something. This is just to pick on you. I love sushi, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> so, um, you know, on my leisure time, um, we, when I'm don't, you know, you know, when I'm not studying my uh, life coaching part of the business, then um, on, the on the weekend, I love a good movie. Um, I'm a Marvel's fan. I love superhero movies. So, um, and I like to go for a walk uh, with my husband, Jacob. And then, you know, especially during this time, it's very calming. And that's when I usually able to, um, you know, be um, recharged and usually let go of, you know, sometimes that's when the idea comes in. So I love go for a walk and things like that. And for those that are watching her mention about sushis, cause I'm an, admittedly, I'm not a big sushi. <laughs> You're totally not. I, I'm not a good sushi buddy. <laughs> you know, I'm not the kind of guy you want to go out to sushi with, depending, depending. Uh, Athena, why did you become a life coach? Well, I have to say, because, um, you know, I been been here for 20 you know 24 years this year now um you know to overcome those cultural barriers and uh, language barriers i know for me um i know how to fill and how much lesson i have to learn along the way and then um i you know because of that 12 years ago i started with my uh, own personal development journey and um, that's when i started at wing seminars 
And then um, I think I've been in a seminar room for about a year, year or so. And then just really heavily developed myself because I want something different than what I used to. And then after the seminar room, I know a lot of people, uh, participants went back to their, you know, everyday life and everything quick. If you're not really, you know, practice it, everything will go back to where it was. So I did not want that to happen. So I spent uh, two years of time after that to really uh, spend, uh, spend the time in the seminar rooms. And that's when I start to uh, be a small group of leaders to not only help myself to make sure what I learned stay permanent. And also I'm, I'm, I get the fulfillment of helping other people. So that makes me happy. So I spent two years of doing that. And then I, it didn't really click to me until later on. Uh, when I was working as a real estate investing coach and also working at a property management company in the student complex, I noticed a lot of students I talked to, they all have one thing in common. Um, the, the people that are graduating are afraid to make any life decision. They're afraid to make that kind of mistakes or they just starting to have those kind of anxiety. They don't know what to do. All right, now I got my degree, now what? And then for a lot of international students, um, they're just flat out, you know, afraid to even speak with any native speaker because they're afraid their accent um, that people would not able to understand them, especially ask them to say the second time and they freaked out or they are just afraid, um, you know, not speak, not speak like perfect English or because the people will judge uh, their competency. And I, I, I basically let them know, hey, I don't speak perfect English, um, but people understand me just fine. And you know, the, to me, the language is here to communicate with another human being. It's not uh, art that it's, you know, you have to be a, uh, you know, being perfect. So, well, I never really believed in profession anyway. It's just, I'm doing the best I can. And I, I let them know, um, you know, you, your job is to have people to understand you, not to be perfect. So if you understand you, you are fine. But I just noticed a lot of people, especially on the real side, the coaching side of it, um, they wouldn't, they just wouldn't do it. Um, I, I hold them accountable and then make sure they take the one step at a time. And I share with them, um, you know, how I deal with that, um, you know, because I didn't speak perfect English and then to overcome that challenges. Um, so I think when, after that is when the pandemic, but when the pandemic happened, um, I really took the time to study and then to train myself to be the life coach um, under you know, Tony Robbins organization. Um, so that's when I, um, I, I, I think I can bring more value now to my clients um, because at that time I tried to help, but I was working for somebody else. So I can't really help them. <laughs> so, but now I can. Uh, so I just, so I want to pro uh, provide more value to my customers. So not only in the real estate investing side of it, but also on uh, in their life journey. So now I can um, really provide a meaningful, um, you know, advice to their life. How long was the Tony Robbins training program? 
uh, it's ongoing. I'm actually are about to go into another advanced one next week. So I'm actually constantly educating myself because uh, next week will be all about um, the market that we're facing right now. Because um, I don't even know when was the last pandemic happened. Probably in what 18th century. <laughs> so, so I mean, this is kind of like you know, this is now we're facing the pandemic. How that impact our economics uh, globally, locally is something we never deal with in our lifetime. I never do have to deal with pandemics. So I figure if I'm in, we, within a group of um, uh, advanced professionals, um, you know, we get to learn how to work in those challenges time. And so then I can bring more value to my clients. So yeah, my learning is always ongoing. Well, that's very good that we, you know, we need to be lifelong learners. That's really important. I think the, the most significant pandemic the last one here in the United States was the 1918, the Spanish flu, the largest. Mm -hmm. So it's, it has been a long time. Yeah. So lots of things we've had to, to learn along the way. I mean, they've dealt with a lot of different uh, other health crises like polio and other things. But yeah. on, on the wide scale, I, I do believe it was the Spanish flu. Mm -hmm. Now, you said something that's important. The recognition, things that leaders need to learn to recognize in ways that they can help others. It's really critical. And you said, first of all, your journey began 12 years ago. You put in the hard work. You put in the incubation time. You put in the personal investment, not beyond financial, the almost the apprenticeship time at the Wing Seminars. You were in the seminar. You trained yourself for a year, I think you said. And then you were in the rooms helping teaching training for another two years until it became a part of you. And when you were an investment coach in real estate, you began to recognize something common to the students. They all had anxiety about what to do next. Once they graduated from high school, there was a lot of fear to make decisions, especially the international students. They were afraid of what people would think when they would hear them speak, hearing their accents. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, I appreciate what you said about the language is here. This is very simple yet profound because we get so hung up on perfection, especially in America. The language is here to communicate to one another, truth to another human being. We don't have to be perfect in it. And that's something that's critical. When we came back from Texas, I think in 2016, I was asked to speak to the international student body at the University of Oregon. And I can tell you that after that event, the amount of students that came up to me and for, <clears throat> excuse me, months following were sending me emails asking me to help them find work mm -hmm. uh, because they were these very fears that you just mentioned were the things that I can tell you were in those emails. And it's, they were concerned about what will people think when they hear me talk? Mr. Molina, can you please tell people that I can, I, I'm smarter than my language sounds. I remember that, that phrase a lot. I'm smarter than my language sounds. Even the fact that I can still say that, or excuse me, remember that says the impact of that anxiety. Yeah. And that's the same anxiety my parents had growing up here in America that had such an impact on them. I mean, they didn't get to go to school. They were the oldest in their families. They had to help, they had to work. 
They didn't get to go to school. So it, that ongoing impact, what a fortuitous conversation with you, because these are things we need to remember, especially leaders in the community. There, there's people like you, a leader like you, clued into that and realized they need help. I can help them. I have the training. I have the skill. I have the passion. I have the desire. Let's get this party started, so to speak. And I still alive. I didn't die from it. <laughs> so I'm a living proof. There we go. Now, we came to these realizations with the student body. Was it at mm -hmm. that time you began your coaching or did you go into um, a more of an educational mode before you began? Uh, what, what do you mean by like a student body? Uh, your experiences with the students from the U of O. These oh, oh, yeah, yeah, U of O. Um, yeah, so I was working at the time uh, for the, uh, I think I was working uh, as a property, ma uh, in the property management company for the student complex. And then that's when I get to hear them talk all the time. I've, sometimes I feel like uh, one of my, another role is a student advisor's. Uh, that's what they usually come to me is oh I want to talk to you actually at first actually they, I thought they want to talk about uh, things um, you know their living situation around the complex and things like that but no they, they want advice so that's when I realized oh okay I mean I even have a, a, a parent calling me from Hong Kong and then the staff answered the phone and say Athena somebody um, from Hong Kong want to talk to you. I was like, yeah, right. I was like, you know, international phone call. Like, I just thought it was a scam. <laughs> so I was like, just put in a voicemail. I'll answer to that. I have important things. So no, they literally call you from Hong Kong because they saw your post in the face, Facebook group that you're able to help them. So, oh, oh, okay. You know, you never really know what you put out there in the social media that you might be helping other people. I didn't know that until, you know, I learned that that day. So, so that was able to help uh, their, their kids over here in the United States when their parents are so far away. So that's when I know, okay, um, my value within the students um, is something valuable. And then, and then at that time, I didn't uh, start with my life coaching uh, education, but I started when I was at Wings. Okay. All right. So you specialize in Asian and American communications. Mm -hmm. Tell us more about this and some of the nuances that help you serve this area of our community. Uh, I would say it's actually quite a big difference uh, because the way that American communicate um, is more direct. Uh, more blunt. Uh, people uh, usually talk about what they want, how they feel, and then uh, basically words speak for themselves. And then um, here, uh, the people here is more rule-oriented. Um, the uh, one big part of the differences I heard, like actually just the other day, I would hear the customer that, you know, Asian uh, customer want um, to negotiate some, some of the, the rules. And then I hear the native speakers say, no, this is our rules and you agree our policy, this is our terms and condition. But the person will you understand where I'm coming from? So people are, want to, uh, the, the other person to relate to their story 
and to renegotiate the policy. But people here are, you know, policy is a policy. I'm sorry, but I understand how you feel, but we can't change our policy. So that's when I usually uh, tell there is the culture uh, barrier there because um, they're not be able to see eye to eye because of different value. And then um, and here uh, people are tend to have a shorter duration of a communication. And then um, the transaction usually are faster as, as far as business transaction concern. And then uh, for the relationship usually uh, start really uh, uh, start quickly and also end quickly as well. And then uh, people can belongs to one's group. Uh, so the boundary is not really clear. In the, in the Asian culture, uh, my uh, is more indirect. Uh, so a lot of Asian people, they use uh, body language a lot. You know, a lot of nonverbal elements to it, either um, the tone of voice and the eye movement gesture. And then, um, so those are usually play a huge part in Asian communication. And then, um, and then also the style when people start talking, they usually say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, excuse me. And that's how usually they start their communicate. I don't know when you actually interact with them, did you notice that? It's not, uh, I usually have people, uh, you know, the native speaker to ask me, why, why, why do people want to, you know, say sorry? in the beginning of their sentences, what they're sorry for. So I'll say it's not they actually sorry, they just like to deliver their message by starting in a more of a polite and courteous way. And then they usually will end their conversation like, oh, thank you so much, thank you so much, even though it's just such a little things uh, the uh, the person that helped them. So that just more of a, uh, it's just more of a communication styles different. And then um, the relationship building usually go much slower. People want to be built on trust first. And uh, once that trust is um, developed, stabilized, and then um, it becomes stable and then people will stay in that relationship for a very long time. And then um, another difference I would say, it's a strong awareness um, who is actually in one's group. So there's a sense of belonging if you're being accepted in that group or not. They're not going to tell you, but you can kind of sense it. <laughs> so there is a very strong uh, difference between the insiders and outsiders. So that's my observation over the years, 24 years being here. Very good. I want to I want to hear more of this. So let me ask some some more of this. You know, part of what your definition of your services, your leadership, your coaching is you help in the area of authentic communication. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you? What's your definition? How do you help others participate in authentic communication within the American Asian uh, cultural communication process? Good question. So, well, it took me actually a while to figure that part uh, myself. Uh, so, after the WING seminars, I think uh, what really helped me is to um, to really understand who I am, um, because that's where my core value is. So when it comes to authentic communication, is really is holding the core value of who I am as a person when I'm talking to another person in a simple, clear, and direct way. Now, how do you help between, you just said that Asians are a little bit more indirect, 
Mm -hmm. take a little bit more time. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the words are different because the, the relationship building is different. How mm -hmm. do you help your clients and maybe someone they're trying to negotiate with comprehend you know that stylistically that the communication is different now i mean mm -hmm. not just stylistically but it's it's cultural mm -hmm. how do you help them bridge that gap uh based on the the experience that i help in the past a lot of people they don't even know they have a cultural gap <laughs> they don't even realize they're in the middle of a communication disconnect so I usually, when that happened, I can totally tell one side is saying one thing, another side has a different argument with another thing. I'm in the middle listening both sides. And I basically have to say, stop, <laughs> time out, time out. Um, I think we have a cultural uh, barrier here because as soon as I call that out and I will explain to the one side to let them know, this is what your customer is thinking. And I will tell the other side, this is how uh, the process here in America. Nobody is wrong here. It's just you view the world in a different lenses. So to me is to be able to have to even recognize that at the first place, that played a huge part in the communication. How do you, if, if, the, if there's a significant language barrier beyond um, translation, Mm -hmm. How do you help, let's say you're dealing with someone who's primarily a Chinese speaker, one of your clients, and mm -hmm. they're trying to communicate to someone who is, you know, local, an American, whatever, mm -hmm. and they're still having trouble grasping the, the process of how we do things here. What are some of the techniques that you use or processes that you use to help them fully comprehend what's taking place? Uh, one of the the, the benefit is they get uh, the both get uh, from both sides is I start interpreting. <laughs> so I've become their uh, interpreter. I, I start, I know that I start doing that uh, when I was working in the property management company. Every time when the staff said, okay, this person don't speak no English or very little English, they just told me to talk to them. So, and since I know uh, the, the both sides of perspective, I mean, easier to help them to understand this is how um, you're not in China now, or you're not in Taiwan now, or you're not in Japan. You're so this is how they work in, in, in the rules and conditions. That's how um, the community rules usually I have explained to them. And then it's, it's nothing wrong. You just, you just happen to be in a different country. Just like if you go into somebody's, somebody else's house, you know, there's some house rule. You don't just go into somebody's house and start demanding your own house rule. It doesn't work that way. So I'm usually trying to explain to, to, um, to them using the simple metaphor or the, the knowledge, like the, those kind of things that usually help people understand is, oh yeah, if, if I go to somebody else, yeah, house, I, I wouldn't demand my rules. And if you start to you know, explain to them in that manner, they start to soften and they will start to listen because a lot of time, both sides just want to know uh, you care, especially for the customer, uh, Asians um, um, customer. They just want to know, even though you have those uh, terms and conditions, your policy and all that, I understand that. But I just want to know you care. You at least want to go out your way to help me. 
And after you go out your way to help me and it still doesn't work, you already try your best and I appreciate you anyway. And that's all they're asking, but they cannot verbalize it. <laughs> but I understand their internal dialect because I can tell their nonverbal cue based on their tone of voice and body language. Well, that's really important. I, I love the analogy of the house rules and you can't go into someone else's home and expect them to, you can't just go in and change the rules. When I was in the army, I, I was stationed in Panama and Germany, Hawaii, three other places that I was stationed. And the military does a really good job of preparing incoming soldiers. They go through cultural uh, training about mm -hmm. the, 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 the rules, if you will, of mm -hmm. the home country, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And th those were always so helpful. And a lot of it was language training as well, so that mm -hmm. you would learn how to have some basic skills in the language as well as the culture to help facilitate exchange, as you say, right? You don't have mm -hmm. to be perfect, but it does build that bridge. So that's a great way for all of us to remember those of us that are hearing you right now, that we'll hear you later, that are leaders that are trying to help build bridges between different cultures, different people groups, maybe with different uh, language limitations, uh, that we can help. It's how we explain things is a big deal, right? And taking the time to give an example that will that causes a light to go on so that it produces impact, right? Yes. Now, your clients, how do you find your clients in this area of culture and diversity struggling to communicate within their areas of life and living? How are they, how are, what are some of the things that are unique to the, your clients? Uh, you've been talking about the challenge they're facing and living here? Yes. So a lot of time uh, when people, um, when they moved here, they just, you know, everything is so new. And then they're just, I just start popping and just start, in the very beginning is everything's kind of exciting, but you know, they have an anxiety at the same time if they don't speak the language. So when the people move here, uh, most of them uh, want to keep the roots of their culture where they're coming from, but they also want to have that authentic experience of the new culture. So with that in mind, a lot of uh, like internal conflict, that's when it started, it started within themselves because that's kind of how they want to experience in a new country. So, so when they started, uh, started within themselves and it was started to it become a ripple effect, get into their social life, uh, work, and then family here or even back home because you start getting, um, you start learning, adopting a Western culture here, and you are kind of become further away from your own cultures almost, because I know that was one of the comments that, that my, my parents made. And that's when I realized, oh, okay, because I'm adopting a more of American culture here, I'm start not acting too much like a Taiwanese. And so that's why there's an inner conflict of, okay, there's a way for me to interact with my family and there's a way I interact with people here. It's like, if you're thinking about uh, a cross culture, it's kind of like, for me at least, it's like a running to uh, computer software. 
thinking about having a Mac and PC constantly running 24-7. You, you might clash every once in a while. And, it, you know, to me, that's sometimes that's what it feels like to me. Um, not only Chinese, uh, Chinese language is completely opposite when you speak it, and then when you actually interact with other people, your um, the whole concept have to switch as well. So, at the end of the day, it could be pretty exhausting <laughs> to tell you the truth. So I know that's kind of a, a lot of people that having that challenges in their everyday life, and then so that's why you find a lot of people rather just stay with in their own group. They don't want to interact with people outside of their own group because that's a comfort zone. Well, I, I, I'm really enjoying this conversation, Athena, because we, especially leaders, we have to be sensitive, just even as community members, as good neighbors, that people are going through their own kinds of struggles. You're right. It didn't even dawn on me until you said that coming here, becoming more of an American, so to speak, Americanized and American culture, it does and would, it's natural that it would create a disassociation from your homeland, your home country, your home culture, your your home, your home country practices, and people would say, "Yeah, I don't recognize you anymore." Yeah, I usually, yeah, you have changed. That's usually what I heard. But you know, I mean, that's kind of uh, you know we learn, and then I I I would I know to adjust because I don't expect my parents to change this. I mean, they're in the eighties now. I, I don't expect them to change the way um, they believe, they think and all that, but I still love them as, you know, just when I was a little girl, it's the same. It's just my way of loving them is different now. It's just because I grow uh, to a different person. I think it's important, ladies and gentlemen, what she just said, I think we should be courteous to others that are trying to learn the American language, learn American culture. She said, She's dealing with this all day long, the mental distress, and I know that it is. I mean, because when I was a pastor, I'm preaching messages in English and Spanish at the same time, in the prison, in the church, it, getting their brain to switch. The languages are formed differently. Mm -hmm. uh, Spanish is a romance language, but it's got 12 tenses. So, <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, so it, this is real. This What you're saying is real, and we... We can as Americans sometimes. I'm an American. I was born here. I was raised here. Uh, yes, I'm a Mexican-American of Mexican descent, but this is my country. I've never, you know, I mean, I've lived in other countries because of the U.S. military, but this is my home. So I grew up with that American pressurized system of conform, mm -hmm. assimilate, mm -hmm. forced adjustment, no mercy, so to speak, in regards to... Um, time being allotted to make those adjustments and I think we should we should um, be sensitive to that struggle to that distress the psychological distress distress the neurological distress on the brain trying to learn all of these new things when we were down in South Texas I was shocked I was shocked to see three and four generations of people that had lived there along the frontera the border and the Rio Grande Valley that still only spoke Spanish mm. and had been in America three, three to four generations and stayed within their cultural group, 
only did business with each other, mm-hmm. supported only each other. Yeah. As far as they were concerned, yes, they lived here and, and they were Americans, mm-hmm. but they stayed attached to the older generation and they basically shut out um, the rest of society, except like going to the store to buy clothes or whatever. And so I know what you're saying is true. People would rather uh, encapsulate themselves in a closed environment for survival and not have to deal with all that external demand and that external pressure. So your coaching, your leadership, it just took on a whole new dimension for me as a leader, as a person in our community, having awareness of the demands on you and the product you're offering of your life and your skill set to help others be able to build and form their own lives, their own futures, and their own dreams here in the United States. That's right. How do you help other professionals grow their networks through professional communication through the work that you do? Um, I usually, um, if it is professional communication, I usually, what depends on, um, if they want to grow, it depends on the network they want to grow. I usually ask them, who are your clients? And then what is their communication styles? Because a lot of time I get people uh, friend me on LinkedIn or try to connect on LinkedIn all the time. And then um, we haven't even started a conversation. They already started the selling process. So, but they don't really, Either they don't take the time or they didn't, they didn't understand there is a cultural difference. Um, you know, I don't do business that way. Just like we have, I don't even know you yet. How are we doing business? So I usually ask the people they, they want to connect it to, what, who are they? Who are your target clients? And then to really study their communication style. Is that verbal or nonverbal? And then, because um, I have um, a colleague of mine uh, own a big transportation company in Alaska, and then she lost 200,000 sales to a Taiwanese um, company because the cultural barriers. And, uh, and she, was like, she was like, well, if I have known you exist, <laughs> We wouldn't lost that money, you know. We wouldn't lost that contract, you know. So it just, you know, it just depends on um, their client and that they want to do business with. And then, um, and then, really, the next step would be communicate in the simple and clear, uh, direct, uh, simple and clear way. Because a lot of times, people like to throw in in the. Um, their professional jargon, you know, whatever in that industry, and then people don't really understand that. It might make them look good, but you might have embarrassed the person that you're talking to. They don't know the abbreviation that you're using, and they don't want to admit they don't know what that is. So internally, you just embarrass that client. So that's just something I always let people know to keep that in mind. And then I, I, I usually will let them know to, if you want to know the client, then um, do a little bit of research about them. Get to know them before you have that first meeting. And when you have the first meeting, and just like you're doing right now, you ask questions and you listen, you take notes. And then, cause a lot of time when we are talking too much, 
uh, we only hear about ourselves. We don't really learn about the person that we're talking to. So the God give us one mouth and two ears for a reason, right? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with everything you just said. I want to emphasize, I want to do some feedback for those that are listening, professionals, people in sales, people in community relations. What I'm really appreciating about this communication cycle between you and I, Athena, it is raw, it is to the point, it is concise, it is clear, it's specific, and it is about real people in real life. You said, who are your clients? What is their communication style? Are they verbal or nonverbal? You mentioned, and that's important, we have to know our clients. We have to know the people we're talking to. We have to be uh, aware of the nuances of who they are. Your friend that lost 200,000 in sales to a Taiwanese company, she said if she would have known about you, she would have lost it. But yeah. this, really, this is critical, having, having either yourself being prepared or having others prepared that work with you and for you to facilitate these crucial conversations. Communicate in ways that are simple. Communicate in, way, in ways that are clear. Try to avoid professional jargon because you might embarrass people. You might, they might be offended and not necessarily offended, but just they might feel incompetent yeah, by, yes. your intellect, yeah, by your intellectual expression, right? Mm -hmm. And doing some work to research your client is, is knowing them, but I'm just so blessed by this conversation, Athena, today with you. Because to me, it's a heartfelt bridging the gap, building the bridge with others. Life is about relationship. We are trying to sell our goods and services. It's the way the economy works. That's real life. And how can we help others afford our goods and services and participate in the exchange process with them if we're not communicating with them in ways that they communicate? if we don't understand them stylistically, if we're not communicating, communicating in ways that are simple and clear. And a lot of people like, they can be too impressed with themselves. That's real, you know it. And they wanna use big words and their professional jargon. Yeah, whatever. It, those kinds of things. I spent two years in Toastmasters. You do, huh? And I withdrew from Toastmasters and I'll tell you why. The product is great. I love Toastmasters. But they go through this refinement process that will change mm -hmm. you. Yes. It will change you. And I made the decision that I wanted to stay as natural to who I am as a communicator and just speak in simple terms. I have a bachelor's. I have a master's. I'm working on my doctorate. I don't, that's because those are personal goals, but I don't want to have a mouth or a mind full of big words. I want to have a heart full of sincere and real communication patterns so that I can relate to people and they can relate to me. And that's exactly what you're talking about. That's right. You, you speak, you're trilingual. You speak English, Chinese, and sales. That's right. <laughs> so what are some of the cultural pressures of the Chinese culture 
that might affect meeting goals here in America or their local communities? Uh, I would say uh, in the uh, Chinese culture, um, family honor is everything. You don't dare to embarrass your family when you're out there doing things. So that has been rooted in our system, uh, I would say, uh, just growing up. And then um, we usually have um, parents uh, usually set up the blueprint for the kids of starting from, you know, you're going to school, you definitely have to have high grades. Um, you want to get all the A's. And then after school, you'll go to the talent classes. So I remember, from what I remember, I've been going to talent classes ever since I was, what, third grade? Um, piano, uh, math, and I have to do math in my head, you know, and then they have to, you have to get trained how fast you do it in your head and they will time you. So, you know, we, I would say we're like highly trained machine. <laughs> so, sort of speak, almost. Um, if we're gonna talk about Marvel's term, we're talking about Black Widow. So, you know, <laughs> and, but, you know, it's just on the really high standard, you know, you talk about those tiger mom or helicopter parents, you know, um, and then also we are constantly competing. Um, if you have siblings, you'll be competing with, with your siblings. And if you don't have siblings, you bet you'll be competing with uh, your relative, ki uh, relative kids. If you don't have relatives, then you will be competing with your neighbor's kids on the grades and how awesome you are. And then um, later on in life, um, once you get into the college, um, the parents tend to want to um, choose the major for you. Usually, the, uh, I would say the top four, the most popular ones are doctor, lawyer, engineer, or in finances. Usually you'll see a lot of Asian professionals are major in those, or that would be their career choice later on just because their parents say so, or think it's a good idea. Mm -hmm. you know, so, go ahead. Oh, so that's what I'm saying. It's just a lot of time uh, they're living under their parents' expectation, not their own. They're living their parents' dream. Well, let me just say this. There's nothing wrong with having extremely high expectations. Mm -hmm. I think we've lost part of that here in America. I think that's been our downfall. We've lost our sense of high expectation. We've seemed to have lost our way in regards to um, in the development in our education system, in our homes that require excellence. I'm not trying to offend anybody out there. Mm -hmm. I'm 56 years old. I've watched our country digress into into almost into the abyss so to speak uh, we just can't we can't produce good workers we, mm -hmm. we lo we're losing our standard across the board and how we build and design and all of those things and I think that you know there's this thing about oh the, the Chinese are so smart I would say that what they are is very well prepared well, what they are <laughs> yeah, yes, well prepared, well trained, high expectations. You said a highly trained machine, high standards, constantly competing. These things are critical to development. 
And I'm, I'm thankful that you brought that up today because um, you've talked about when you got here 23 years ago and this pressure, this development, you've been putting yourself under for these last 12 years. It's been constant. It's been significant. It's been real. It's producing results. You are a high achiever. You are helping your clients. You had a 50% renewal rate. And when you were doing the real estate, you had 21% increase uh, in the profits in the first two months of that endeavor. Those things are gaugeable metrics and they're real metrics that tell a real story about performance factors of the person that was executing the task, which mm -hmm. is you. And so maybe, maybe, maybe there could be some adjustment about, I, I don't know, I don't want to get into the cultural component of, mm -hmm. well, they're living their parents' dreams or whatever. I don't know. But what I do know is that they have habits and disciplines mm -hmm. and trained thought processes that produce excellence in everything that they do. And we can learn a whole lot from that process. Yeah, I think I, well, at the time, I did not appreciate that. Of course, I'm like, I was at, a child. <laughs> I want to, I want to have fun. I want to go out and well, not necessarily party, but I just want to go out and play, you know, but we were spending our time in the classroom, you know, with in the Italian classes, but at the time I did not appreciate it. I just, I, I can see um, the, the benefit of both sides of the educations, because I really like in American culture where your creativity is really uh, being developed. Uh, because in the Asian culture, when you're dependent on your parents' opinion so much, and people are not able to think independently. And that's one of the side effects that I have seen. And I have to be, uh, that part of me actually had to be developed over here when I moved to the United States. And I seen that a lot when I was taking my college classes, because I was constantly was looking to see what the profession, uh, the professors are looking for um, to consider is a good, a good project. And then I forgot, I'm the creator. Whatever I create is good for me because <laughs> I am the art, I, I'm the artist of, of my project. So that is something it didn't really dawn on me until uh, when I started taking the classes because the professor is like, you tell me, what would you like to create? Is that I don't know, I've been listening to parents the whole life. <laughs> what, what do I know? So that is something I would say, um, that's kind of why I see a lot of my um, friends that live in the United States uh, uh, for uh, the immigrant to the United States and they'll start having family here. And that's how they train their kids. Like they would be doing a uh, morning, uh, they will be helping the kids to study in more of an Asian matter. In the afternoon, after they finish their work, they'd be out and play, you know, been doing creative work. So I do see they start using the, um, the benefit of both education. So I really like that idea when, for, well, from what I see for a lot of my, uh, the friends that immigrated over here are doing. Well, I appreciate that too, because the creative concept, cre creativity creates products, they create services, they create commerce, they create an economic system, they create an ecosystem of life and living. So I'm not trying, I wasn't trying to totally down America. I'm just saying that there are disciplines that we also have lost that we need to regain. And whether we want to accept it or not, it comes through 
training ourselves, disciplining ourselves, disciplining our minds, and being willing to do some of these harder things that aren't. Yeah, those are hard. Yeah. You know, I just want to, when I got my master's degree, Athena, I woke up between two and three in the morning for two and a half years, seven days a week. It was hard. Mm-hmm. And I was exhausted when it was over. But I knew that I had accomplished something. Mm -hmm. no one could take it away it's not anyone else's degree it's my degree yes right i i own it because it i submitted myself to the demands and the disciplines and so uh, we it's important that we're as disciplined as we are creative yeah would you say you learned your discipline when you were in the military though I learned my discipline actually from my parents. We were, you know, my parents, we were, there was nine of us in the family. And, wow. and uh, you know, we had one bathroom in the house. You had to learn to wait in line. <laughs> and then to negotiate. Oh. That's a good scale tap. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I was the youngest of seven. And so I had to wait for those clothes to come down for my older brothers. Number one, when I could fit into them. But number mm-hmm. two, when it was... Uh, time for me to, to, I grew into them and then hopefully it was still there. I mean, I remember saying, I can't wait till that shirt is mine. (laughs) As it just made its way down the chain, right? Uh And so our parents were were very disciplined and my mother would make us line up in the morning. We were poor, we didn't have a lot of money and she'd make us line up to make sure our clothes were clean and straight and things of that nature. So I really did learn that from from them. The military helped, but I really learned that at home. Nice. Now, <clears throat> how do you use your experiences? Currently, you're you're working at this time with clients. Mm-hmm. How do you help them understand the importance of metrics and measuring their successes as you coach them? Oh, like the way I train them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I usually um, I help if somebody come to me. Um, they usually have well, most yeah, most of the people that come to me have some kind of goal in mind. Um, but of course, they at the time they didn't really know me yet, so they will kind of just talk things in general. So my very first session is called Clarity Session. I offer uh, to all my clients for free. It's 45 minutes of consultation. Just like the doctor, they will do intake. Um, so that's exactly what I would be doing. Just kind of get to know them. And then we get to see if we're a good fit to work together for the next whatever session that we'll be working together. And then just really understanding their goals. Um, I usually uh, get it down to their five years goal, one year goal, and the monthly goals. And then, um, and then I will be looking there, um, what they have done before, what works, what didn't work and what skills they need to acquire and what resources they have. So really looking at everything and organize all those information. And then, um, and then we start creating the action step. So at first I will be helping them to create a compelling vision. So exactly what they, so a lot of times people say, oh, I wanna make a lot of money. Okay, here's a dollar. <laughs> you know, a lot of money is, you know, we wanna define the goal. So sometimes we want to know what that, what having a lot of money will give you? Is that, um, 
of financial freedom or is that an achievement or what what is it you know that's kind of we usually help clients to um, really define what exactly their goal give them to really help them clarify uh, what they're really looking for and then um, of course between the vision and to where they are um, people believe there's some challenge in between. So we will be identified those challenges and to see who, uh, what they are. A lot of time it is a limiting belief, uh, what they believe they can or they cannot do it. And then every limiting belief, there is also an emotion behind it. So we will also tap into kind of like the onion, you know, you started from outside, you peel, you get into the core of their the, the root of the problem or whatever if, if that would be their vision so usually i will start with their uh, limiting belief their emotion what's emotion is uh, in charge of that to create that limiting belief and then with that emotion you know we'll be talking about uh what i call uh, six human needs is really out of those need uh, out of those emotion what needs that this person is getting fulfilled because that's why we constantly go into that emotion it, because it fulfill one of our six human needs. So that's kind of why I'm using the onion as the way to get down to the roots to really help, um, to help the person get that clarity. That's usually how my process works. Yeah, I appreciate that, you know, taking the time to help people work through we all have goals, we have objectives, and sometimes it's trying to get to them. That's the difficult part, right? Mm -hmm. Trying to, to get through some of the, because with my leadership coaching, with some of my clients right now that I'm working with, we're working with some sensitive information. And I, I don't mean, when I say sensitive information, I'm talking about areas of internal struggle that have been preventing them from moving forward successfully. And so mm -hmm. getting to the root of those things and talking about them and putting leadership principles to work to, to effectively negotiate, navigate away from that. It's really critical. So I appreciate that component of your work. Thank you. Your work with Wing Seminars, uh, I've, I've been to a couple of those over the past. It's been several years now, but talk oh, to you us. Oh, you've been to Wing Seminars? Yeah, I, yeah, I've done a couple of those, yes. Oh, okay. And so, Talk to us about your wing seminars. Who are they? And what was the scope of your work and the classes and training that offered? So wings, uh, I think they have changed to La Quinta now. Um, uh, used to be wing seminars. And then um, they usually offer uh, three major courses started with personal effective seminars. And then the second part would be cross, uh, crossover and the third part is a, a called, I think it was called LifeWorks. So to me, the, per, the very, very first part of seminar um, is helping a lot of people work on their past. Because a lot of time people cannot really move towards their future when they're still holding that bag of a burden from the past. So that's usually, uh, that's actually the first part of it. And the second part is when people are eventually let go of their past, and they are ready to move towards their future. They need to know between the past to the future what is in between. So that's what the cross-cultural uh, crossover class is for. And the life works is really just helping people create that vision. So to me, that's the um, 
the, the seminars I took to get to uh, get rid of the burden from the past into uh, you know and then cross over and then a life works to make sure you know um, you know I, I stay with my vision and what I want to create my life is on is bigger scale than what is really currently happening right now and I think they also offered the integration uh, class um, I took that one as well is really helping our uh, body, mind, and soul to integrate. And um, so that really helped me to really align with who I am as a whole. Yeah, there's a lot of really good data around holistic capacity, right? Making sure that we really do deal with the totality of the person, right? Mm -hmm. and, and getting to some of the things that make us who we are the experiences, all of those things, that's all credible, it's all relevant. It's not uh, psychology mumbo jumbo, it is real life. We all come from somewhere, we're all part of something, we all have a history and some of it's really good and some of it isn't. And we have to learn to navigate some of those experiences from the past, get through some of that pain we didn't know how to navigate successfully earlier. Mm -hmm. And then to, to cross over, if you will, into the next phase where we can learn to, as we're more whole, to be more successful, whatever that means to us. Exactly. Right. Success does definitely does not mean a lot of money because there's a lot of people with a lot of money who have a doctor in one hand and a psychiatrist in the other. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. It's, it's just whatever success means to that person. Mm -hmm. It's a very subjective yeah, a lot of money can buy you a really good steak, but only having a healthy, peaceful heart, having a peaceful heart will allow you to enjoy that steak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all right. about the emotional state that person's in, regardless how much money they have, is whatever the emotional state they constantly live in. Now, <clears throat> what is Wealth Intelligence Academy? Oh, that was when I started with my real estate investing um, uh, education. It was part of the Reach Debt Education a while back. It's part of the Robert Kiyosaki Real Estate Investing. So that's where I started with my investing career back in 2005. Now, Robert Kiyosaki, he's got some good training materials still out there. Yeah, it is. It is. So that's usually where I started with the, I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'm not sure if you heard of the Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, so that's how I started with the journey, really. It was recommended at U of O, one of the professors recommended. And then I, I got, in the, very, in the very beginning, I didn't really believe it. And then until my, um, I got friends hand me that same book twice from different people. That's when I know, okay, God has a message for me. <laughs> it was time to listen. Yeah, there's a lot we can learn from other people's journeys, and we should consider those uh, opportunities as very real opportunities and sometimes even sacred opportunities because there yeah. are things that can impact us in ways that can really reshape <clears throat> and redirect our futures. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Talk to me a little bit about clients who've got about seven or eight minutes left, I'd like to hear how, what kind of clients, what's a good client for you look like? 
Um, so since I deal with a lot of people there in, you know, between Asian American communications, I notice um, a lot of clients that I deal with is people like Asian individuals. Um, they just immigrating here and they try to navigate it, uh, those challenging transitions uh, when they moved here. So usually that is one area that can help. And the second phase of the, um, the people I can help is Asian professionals, because that's when they start mixing with the Asian culture, American cultures, and they start getting to that um, identity crisis, identity issues. They don't know, am I American or if I'm Asian? And they start getting to that kind of confusing zone. And that's where I come in to help them gain that clarity and confidence. And the, the third component I help is the international organization. Just like I told you earlier, that lost the business over um, you, you know, the culture and the language barrier. And that's when I can facilitate the, tra uh, the transactions and help uh, both parties create win-win you know, profit growth in that area. Now, as a leader, as a trainer of leaders, do you journal? Yes, I do. I usually, I like to do the conscious writing, uh, especially when I am, there's, there was time when I constantly have something I couldn't quite figure it out. It doesn't matter how hard I tried. I usually start doing the journal and I just start doing uh, just whatever is coming out. I just start writing to let that down because I know a lot of time it's just really part of me not being heard. So when I write it out, I can actually see it. I can actually, a lot of answer will start showing up on what I wrote. So I do journal, yes. Yeah, I appreciate that. Some of the answers that you need, they just start showing up as you begin to journal. And that's really good because it gives you a chance to reflect on what's going on in your heart and in your mind. Exactly, exactly. Because right. a lot of time emotion is all spinning in our head. They need to let it out. And that's the only way that you can let them out is to write it out. Yeah, because our emotional self will tell us. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, what kind of books are you reading right now? Uh, a lot of business uh, life coaching. Um, life coaching is first step of my um, um, as a life coach. That was the first component of it, and the second component, I will be diving more of a business coaching, and uh, so life business coaching. And then I will be stepping into, um, I'm learning also on the leadership uh, negotiation in crisis. Oh, very good. Uh, yeah, maybe we should talk about that at another time. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, especially very, right now. Yeah. It's very exciting. We all need to gain more communication skills. We're in a point where people are at emotional limits, psychological limits, societal limits, economic pressures, and we're starting to burst. Right? It is, it is, very true. What do you do as a, as a leader, what do you do to keep yourself whole and focused? Um, that would be going back to my Asian roots. I have discipline, I have a routine. I wake up at five o'clock, sometimes 4.30, depends on my mind wake up first or my body wake up first. Um, so like today I woke up at four and I started to meditation. And then I have a vision board I created of what I want to see uh, me 
you know, as a, as a whole. So I would go with my, um, um, what I'm grateful for. That's usually how I started with my date. And then, um, so I go with my vision and then um, I would be meditating at this time. And then later on, of course, you'd, I would also put in my exercise in the morning. And then, um, you know, you eat a healthy, uh, then later on would be a healthy breakfast and I go through the day. And then I'll, I would read and study and, and do my uh, coaching work. And then, you know, and then at probably about eight or nine or so, I'll be winding down because I don't want to get my mind all wind up and I couldn't sleep. So I'll be doing back to meditating and then my vision again. And that's when I go to bed and say a prayer. <laughs> or Jacob helped me say a prayer. And so what kind of exercise do you do as a leader to keep yourself invigorated? Oh, I do we dance. <laughs> yeah, I mean, then, you know, you know, not only... I get to do that with Jacob, you know, it's become like the time a couple have the time together, enjoy each other's company. And then we are just goofing off. And then, you know, this is another time we communicate and then we learn some move. So maybe when the pandemic's over, over <laughs> you know, I just want, I just, I don't know. It's just one of the skills we learned. And then, you know, we enjoy each other's company. And then the songs provide the variety. So we don't get, stagnant it's the same thing over and over again so yeah so it's it's fun well that's really good that's that's exciting that you guys are doing that together what would you say to those who have a college degree or multiple degrees and think that maybe leadership and communication was taking care of them or was taking care of for them in their educational pursuits already they might think i don't need this i studied it in college i'm good uh, I used to think that when I was in college, <laughs> and then I would say uh, school education is always uh, it's a starting point. We always want to have a foundation when we start, but when life going to a different stages, you know, we're going different stages in life. We're not always going to be you know like in the college lifestyle. So when the, when you when we enter different life stages you interact with different people, you have different opportunity presented to you, you encounter different events, they're, they add a whole bunch of complications and the, you know different challenges. So the foundation, it's good to, to, to use that as a foundation, but and there will be other skills that need to be learned along the way. That's why I think the continued education is necessary, especially we are in such a you know quick changing market. You know what used to work five years ago may not use another next five or ten years. That's right. That's correct. You know we it's just about five o'clock. I'd like to ask you one final question. Mm -hmm. What or advice or final comments would you like to make to those pursuing personal and professional development? especially women who are bicultural? I would say, stay true to yourself, be yourself. And, you know, like stay with your core value, like what I said earlier, um, who you are is who you are, you know, like the raw you. And then that's what people will love about you because they know you are real. And then just be open-minded and stay curious when you're learning and then um, and just continue to grow and then make a lot of mistakes. Cause I know one of the things people are so afraid to make mistakes because when we don't make mistakes, we don't learn. 
And then I always tell people that, you know, when we were a baby, you know, we're constantly fall before we learn how to walk. So we don't just sit on the ground, not getting back up to learn how to walk. So we've done that before. So we can do it again. We fall over and over again. And that's how we learn how to walk. And then the same thing as adult, make a lot of mistakes, continue to grow. And then being the bike culture is such a privilege to be in bike culture because you understand uh, both sides of the world, you travel between both sides of the world. Is that actually the benefit um, for you as you know in career, in your social life, everything. If someone that hears this says, you know, I'd like to talk to Athena about some professional personal development, how could they get a hold of you? Uh, I was going to say www. <laughs> I don't know. They can actually go to my website, Cultural Coach athena.com and then i'm also on the facebook and instagram as well so if you search my name athena todd i'm not that hard to miss i'll be wearing exactly the same dress that i'm wearing today <laughs> so you won't miss me just find me there ladies and gentlemen great joy and pleasure to have with us today miss athena todd she is a life coach specializes in American and Asian relationships, professional and personal development. She'll help anyone. She can assist anyone. And we wanna thank our sponsors for this podcast today, Molina Law Group. They are a local immigration law practice here in Springfield, Oregon. We're opening their Beaverton Law Office this Friday. They can be found on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and Twitter. Their phone number is 541-653-8899. Athena, you made my day. It's been a while since I've had we've had a chance to hang out with you and Jacob. Oh, I miss meeting you. Hug. Yes, oh, yes. yes. I really miss it. So, soon as we can hug, I'm going to go out and hug a whole bunch of people. <laughs> That's my, my first mission. I am too. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your heartfelt expressions. I know you have a great uh, coaching practice, leadership practice going on. I wish you all the best. And maybe we can have you back on again soon and have some ongoing conversations. Awesome. Right. I'd be glad. Thank you so much, Mark. Yes, ma'am. Have a good night. You too. Okay. See ya.